Well, I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, and we're going to be just looking at one verse this morning, verse 14, but I'm going to read from verses um, 11 through to verse 18. Starting in verse 11, Galatians 6. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Let's pray. Father, as we ponder this simple verse in Galatians, we ask that by your spirit you would enlighten our minds and stir our hearts to boast only in the cross of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That he and his death would be our glory and our crown. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, over the last uh, several weeks, we've been celebrating, pondering, uh, worshiping in light of Advent, the coming of the Son of God, born of the Virgin Mary. It's one of the central doctrines of our faith. That the Son of God clothed himself in humanity, fully God and fully man. The immortal took on mortality. The omnipotent took on weakness. The infinite became finite. This is the mystery of the incarnation. That the one who created Mary was born of Mary. That the one who sustained Mary's life was sustained by Mary's breast. We marvel as Christians due to the incarnation of Jesus Christ. God came and dwelt among us in human flesh. We know theologically that it was necessary for the Son of God to become human for our salvation. But that alone is not sufficient It's not only necessary for the Son of God to become human, but it's also necessary for the Son of God in his humanity to suffer and die for the sins of the world. As the writer of Hebrews tells us, that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so this morning, as we partake of the Eucharist together, the the table of thanksgiving, Holy Communion, I want to draw our attention to this one verse in Galatians 6, 14, where Paul states, But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world 
has been crucified to me and I to the world. Here in these final verses of Galatians, Paul is in many ways giving a brief summary of what the letter of Galatians is all about. Uh, There were some false teachers who had crept into the church and they began persuading the Gentile believers that not only did they need to believe in Christ, but they also needed to become Jewish by being circumcised according to the law. And so Paul makes his pastoral and theological case for why faith in Jesus Christ and his redemptive work on the cross is sufficient for being justified before God. So here at the ending of his letter, he comes back to this theme and addresses these false teachers by describing some of their motives. Paul demonstrates that these false teachers were not simply misguided, but they had evil motives. On the one hand, they were pushing for circumcision so that they would escape persecution from their fellow countrymen, the Jews. You see that in verse 12. And on the other hand, they were pushing circumcision amongst the Gentiles so they could boast in their flesh, as Paul puts it in verse 13. That is, they could say to the Jews, look at all the Gentiles who've agreed to becoming Jewish, so to speak by converting them to the ceremonial practices of the Jews. And with these motives, they distorted the gospel and began preaching a false gospel that would not offend the Jews and therefore would not lead to persecution. You see, they wanted to present a message that was acceptable to their own Jewish people and so they elevated the law, sorry, they elevated law keeping to that of faith in Jesus Christ. And so Paul throughout the letter reminds the believers in Galatia of the gospel and that one can never be justified by law keeping but by faith alone in Jesus Christ. Because the grounds of our justification by faith is none other than the death of Christ on the cross for our sins. And in his concluding comments, he draws their attention again to the cross of Christ and declares that he boasts only in the cross of Jesus by which the world has been crucified to him and him to the world. And so this morning, I simply have two points in light of this verse that would prepare us for the Lord's Supper. The first is this, The Christian exclusively glories in the cross of Christ. Paul says, God forbid that he boasts in anything but the cross of Jesus. Often when we hear the word boast, we think of sin, arrogance, and pride. And so it's important to ask, what does it mean to boast? What's the idea that Paul's conveying here by only boasting in the cross of Christ? See, when we think of boasting, we think of a person boasting usually in themselves, right? There's an arrogance to them. But what are they actually doing in their boasting? Well, they're taking pride or glorying. I think that's a good word of capturing what boasting is. They are glorying in something they've done or achieved or something that they think they are. For example, they think they're a good person. They, they glory in the fact that they think they're a good person. 
You see, the battle Paul was having with these false teachers was that they were boasting, they were glorying in their so-called moral achievements and their law-keeping. You could smell the stench of their self-righteousness a mile away. And these same ideas are still true today, within the church and also in our secular society. You have people all the time talking about bettering themselves. There's a lot of different things that we as humans boast in. People boast in their accomplishment when it comes to wealth, the amount of wealth they've been able to accumulate over their lifetime. Uh, Good reputation, accomplishments, good looks, career achievements, family, the accomplishment of, of certain family members. Sexual identity and activity. This is a a very clear example. I mean, the very fact that you have the gay pride parade, what are they doing? They are glorying in their sexuality. Intellectual ability. Moral credibility. The list could go on and on with what humans tend to boast in. But for the Apostle Paul, what he boasted in, what he gloried in, was nothing but a cross soaked in the blood of of Jesus Christ. He did not boast in self, but in a cross. What a strange thing to boast in. He's boasting in an instrument used to torture and kill people in the most horrific ways. It's very strange. And we ought not downplay the strangeness of it. In fact, I would argue the strangeness of it gives it credit to the trustworthiness of the meaning of Christ's death. People like the Apostle Paul would never glory in a crucified man unless his death had a deeper significance. It's strange to glory in the cross. And as Christians, we ought not try to downplay the strangeness of it. The early church was accused of cannibalism because they ate ate the flesh and blood of Christ. It makes no sense to the world that a group of people would glory in a man crucified on a tree. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, 23-24, he alludes to this fact where he says, But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews. That is, they stumble over this truth because they cannot accept the fact that a Messiah, that their Messiah would be a crucified, slaughtered lamb. So it's a stumbling block to the Jews and it's folly to Gentiles. It's foolishness to the Gentile people. But then Paul says this, but to those who are called, To those who are called by God, both Jews and Greeks, that which is a stumbling block to the Jews and that which is foolishness to the Gentiles has become the power of God and the wisdom of God for those who are called. But we need to ask, why? Why did Paul glory or boast only in the cross of Christ? Well, it's simple. Because of what the cross accomplished apart from him and on behalf of him. Throughout this letter, Paul draws attention to the meaning of the significance of Christ's death. 
And it's in the meaning of his death where Paul concludes that there is nothing for him to glory in except that old rugged cross. For example, he believes that Christ's death on the cross was the means by which our sins were forgiven and we were rescued from this evil present age. As he says in Galatians 1, 3-5, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, who gave himself in our place as an act of atonement for our sins. And then he says this, To deliver us from the present evil age. Also he sees in the cross of Christ the love that Christ has for him and all who have been redeemed by his blood. For he says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you see the intimate personal language? When Christ pondered the cross, or when Paul pondered the cross, he saw God's love for him. He saw that Christ gave himself for him. Also, he understands that in the cross of Christ, the curse that was upon us was placed upon Christ. As he says in Galatians 3, 13 to 14, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Christ became a curse for us in our place. And the curses of God, you can read about them in Deuteronomy 27 and 28. They are not pretty. So Christ became a curse for us. And then he says this, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. You see, we were redeemed from the curse of the law because Christ became a curse for us. And because he became a curse, we are now recipients of God's blessing that he gave to Abraham. Christ became cursed so that you and I would become blessed. Also, Paul understood that the cross of Christ led to our redemption and our adoption. That we who were once enemies of God are now sons and daughters of the living God. As he says in Galatians 4, 4 4-7, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of women, woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Paul glories in the cross because when he sees the cross, he realizes that it's because of that cross that I am no longer an enemy of God, but a son. And you are no longer an enemy of God, but a son and a daughter of God. That you are a fellow heir with Jesus Christ. It's these reasons for why Paul concluded his letter with, but but. But far be it for me to boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when a person truly encounters the cross of Jesus for the first time, it humbles him. 
The cross has a way of humbling self-righteous sinners. The cross reveals to the sinner the reality that he has no grounds to boast in self. You see, while Paul at one time boasted in all of his religious moral achievements, when he was exposed to the cross and exposed to the state of his own soul, he was humbled and crushed by the weight of his own sin. No longer could he boast in self because the cross exposed him to his true self, that he was a lost sinner in need of rescuing. And the cross was the rescue mission of God. You see, the cross of Jesus inflicts wounds upon our pride. See, some of us have this mindset that, oh, if only, if only my brothers and sisters truly knew who I was. Or if, if, if only they knew the real sin that I was struggling with. As if somehow you think that you are able to hide what's really going on in your life. Friends, I know how awful you are because I look at the cross. You should know how awful I am because of the cross. It was necessary for the Son of God to be slaughtered on a cross to redeem you and to redeem me. See, we prefer our comfortable illusions about ourselves, but the cross strips those illusions away, for it exposes the ugliness of our own sin. For it was because of our sin that Jesus endured the cross. As John Stott says, nothing in history or in the universe cuts us down to size like the cross. All of us have inflated views of ourselves especially in self-righteousness, until we have visited a place called Calvary. It is there at the foot of the cross that we shrink to our true size. The cross humbles sinners. No longer is the object of their boasting self, but Christ and his cross. This is why Paul boasts only in the cross, for the cross of Jesus is his salvation. This is why every Christian is called to glory in none other than the cross of Jesus Christ, for the cross alone is the ground of our, is the grounds of our redemption. The Christian exclusively glories in the cross of Jesus. Secondly, the world is dead to the Christian, and the Christian is dead to the world. That's what Paul means in the second part of verse 14. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. See, when Paul uses the word world, he's speaking of the world of unbelievers, the unbelieving world, the, the fallen sinful aspects of the world. That world, because of the cross, according to Paul, is now dead to him. The values and the desires of this world have been crucified to him. They're dead because he's become a new creation. The, the world is no longer what captivates his heart. It's not what he lives for anymore. It's not what he glories in anymore. But not only that, he's been crucified to the world. Not only is the world dead to him, but he's dead to the world. As John Stott says, 
As a result, we in the world have parted company. Each has been crucified to the other. The world is the society of unbelievers. Previously, we were desperately anxious to be in favor with the world. But now that we have seen ourselves as sinners and Christ crucified as our sin bearer, we do not care what the world thinks or says of us or does to us. You see, it's not just that we're dead to the sinful desires and temptations, but that we're no longer living for the world's approval and acceptance. You see, the problem with the false teachers is they were still desiring the respectability and the approval of the Jewish people. They were still alive to the world, and the world was still alive to them. But when Paul says, I've been crucified to the world, and the world has been crucified to me, he's saying, I'm no longer looking for the approval of this fallen world. He alludes to this fact in Galatians 1.10 when he says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Now, the assumption that Paul's making is, is that to be a servant of Jesus Christ automatically puts you at odds with the world because the world is at odds with Christ. And yet, there is always this temptation as Christians to want the approval or the acceptance of the world. So many Christians, professing Christians, fall prey to this temptation. They want a Christianity that's acceptable and respectable to the secular world. We too can fall prey to this allurement as well. See, as the influence of Christians continue to decline in our culture... As our society continues to become more secular and less Christian, so to speak, and as our society grows in hostility towards our beliefs and moral convictions, there will be a temptation to conform to the spirit of the age. Carl Truman, in his article titled The Failure of Evangelical Elites, argues that as Christianity is pushed more and more to the margins, that one of the temptations is to conform Christianity to the spirit of the age. That is, as we lose our cultural influence, we're tempted to make Christianity more acceptable and agreeable to the secular elites of our society so that we can have a seat at the table, so to speak. We always tend to think it's a, a major victory, for example, when a, when a secular institution like the New York Times invites a strong, confessional, reformed evangelical to write an article for the magazine. Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with that happening. In fact, I think it's a good thing when Christians engage the culture and are invited to share their thoughts within the marketplace of society. But the temptation is to believe that when those things happen, we've somehow earned the respect of the culture or have somehow arrived. Or it's so easy to desire that as a goal, that the world would at least acknowledge our faith as a viable, legitimate option. And when that's the goal, the danger is that we ever so slowly begin to compromise and capitulate to the culture. That's what these false teachers fell prey to. 
They weren't outright preaching against the cross of Jesus, but in order to gain approval with their fellow Jews, they began teaching error which compromised the gospel. But if we claim to follow Christ, if we claim to boast only in the cross of Jesus, then seeking the approval of the world is a fool's errand. If we find favor with man, let us praise God for the opportunity to be light in the midst of darkness. And if we find disapproval with man, then may we rejoice knowing that we've been counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. The world is dead to us, and we are dead to the world. And we glory in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, not the approval of the world. For it's that cross that has granted us access into a new world, a new kingdom, where we have not the approval of man, but of God. And so when we come to the table this morning, when you take the bread and cup, remember this. When you take that bread and cup, you are proclaiming that your boast is in the cross of Jesus Christ. You are proclaiming that you are alive to Jesus and you are dead to the world. The smile of the world, nor the frown of the world, has any influence over you, for your soul is captivated with the wonder of the crucified Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your Son. And Father, if any of us have not been boasting in the glory of the cross, I pray that you would forgive us and that this morning our heart, our hearts would be fully, fully glorying in Jesus Christ and his work on the cross for our sins. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.